Hi friends, Brad here, the lead pastor of a new church called The Table. This podcast is a short insight to what we do every week, and we think that long, drawn-out messages lose meaning. So over the course of this podcast, you'll find questions that we pose to our people that they'll discuss in real time. And so we would love for you to find time to reflect on these questions as well. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and check us out at thetablejoliet.org. Well, good morning, Table Tribe. It's good to be with you again. Uh, my name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, I have been absent for virtually the last four weeks because we've been talking about relationships and my staff just said you know nothing about relationships so let's bring in experts and other people to do that and so for the last four weeks you've heard from amazing people and people who know way more about relationships than I ever would and so can we give Casey Casey did an amazing job last week right talking about conflict and problems and I'm just so thankful uh, Casey is a spiritual mentor in my life other than all the other cool titles uh, we gave him when he came here uh, he guides me in my faith and I meet with him uh, constantly talking about where I am and how broken and a mess and a joke I am so it's good to meet with him but I'm glad he was there uh, last week I had the wonderful opportunity to preach at another church and um, it was an absolute blast but here's what I realized I realized last week how thankful I am for this community and these people and this place and the table because you guys really are the people that make this thing happen. And I, I just missed you and I miss being here. Yeah, you can clap for the table. That's okay. Thanks, Todd. Whether you missed me or not, I missed you. And, and I was just telling you know how much fun it is to be part of this journey, to be part of this launch, to be part of this community right here. And so this morning, uh, as we begin, I wanted to try something new. Uh, by the way, if you're new, uh, we kind of try crazy, weird stuff all the time. Uh, so one of the things we love to do here is we love to ask questions. And we love to talk about these questions. And I know you're saying, I didn't come to church to talk to anybody. There are Sundays. I get it. You drive here. The kids are screaming. You're frustrated and upset. You don't want to talk to anybody. I get it. You don't have to talk to anybody. But we're just going to say this. If you're uncomfortable with talking, you can text somebody this question. You can take notes about this question. Or you can, if you're an extrovert, talk to somebody next to you. But I wanted to try something different in this way. Usually, as we begin a new series, which we are today, I give you an introduction to the series, but today I'm going to give you the privilege and the honor of kicking off our series. And so to do that, um, we're going to have you turn to your neighbor and answer this question. In what area of your life are you all in? Like where in your life do you put all your eggs in one basket? Is it a relationship? Is it that boyfriend? Is it the girlfriend? Is it your job? Is it the place that you constantly work? Is it your family? Is it your kids? Where do you put your entire life? Where are you all in? Talk about that for one minute, and then we're going to kick this whole thing off.
Shall we begin this morning? Would you pray with me as we begin our time together? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to stand in your presence. We thank you for the joy and honor of knowing you and you changing our lives. I pray that the power of your word would shape your people's hearts today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. So we've been thinking about um, this idea, uh, the staff has been thinking about this idea that a lot of times our greatest struggle in life, especially when it comes to our faith, is being all in. In fact, I think a lot of times it feels like we're trying to do the splits and walk at the same time. So if you would, to make this point, uh, let's all stand together and do, the, um, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> I would love to see you get up from the splits though. But here's the whole point behind that. Like you've, you've heard people say, would you rather be average at one thing or, would you, or at everything or would you rather be amazing at just one thing? Would you rather be average at everything or amazing at one thing? And the question they're really asking is, if you want to make a clear difference in the world, you can't be headed in different directions. That's just the point. If you want to make a clear difference, you can't be headed in multiple directions. And yet, if you're like me and I'm like you, like life feels like there are so many things that are taking place, it's like you can't even get your mind wrapped around doing one thing well. And so you just do everything haphazardly. Is anybody else with me on this? You just kind of go at life and you're not really sure like you're making a difference. And I think when it comes to our faith, we're no different. When it comes to this beautiful thing we call the church, which is made up of a group of people, it's not the place that you go to, but it's a body of people that come together each week. Man, if I were to sit around the conversations as you talked about where you were all in, I wonder, unless you just got it all together, how many of us said, my faith? And so this morning, I wanted to have this discussion about going all in so we can go all out. And of course, as I was thinking about that, it reminded me that my, my wife and I, um, we want to be all in when it comes to parenting. I mean, nobody we want our kids to be amazing kids. Nobody says, I hope my kids grow up to be average and low lives. Nobody, nobody ever says that. And so one thing that we agreed on in the very beginning is that when it comes to being all in, we were going to limit our kids on screen time. Because you know this, uh, when you give your kids screen time, they turn in from amazing kids to, I don't know, you fill in the blank what kind of kids they become. But I know when they're on YouTube and they're watching video games and, of course, they're fun and I enjoy those things as well. They just turn into completely different people. I almost said animals, but they're people. <laughs> and so uh, we decided uh, uh, not too long ago we had this Wii that went bad. And so we decided to switch to the Nintendo Switch. You got that. We decided to switch to the Nintendo Switch. And the reason I wanted to get it is because it's really cool. They have this parental app that you can download on your phone. If you have it, you know this. And you can go in and I can see how often my kids are logged in, how long they've been playing, what they've been playing, who they've been talking to, and I can set the limits. And so we just decided from the very beginning we were gonna give each kid a half an hour when they got home from school. And so I go into this app and I set the time and it has an alarm that goes off. And, and, and what I found, what was supposed to be this sweet little chime that reminds us that we've gone over our time, turns into this incessant ringing that will make any sane person turn crazy. And it's just ring, ring, like over and over. And the boys are just like, like they don't even hear it. <laughs> and so, so you're saying, Brad, why don't you just turn it off? 
because I'm one of the boys who is sitting there ignoring the ringing that's taking place. Uh, I mean, when I'm playing FIFA with my kids, I'm in it to win it. And here's a little trick. Here's a little trick. I'll just let you know this. I used to let them win so that they would come back for more. But now we've gotten to the point where I can't beat them. And so I just keep coming back for more. And so what I find myself doing is every day when that stupid chime goes off, I open up my phone, I go to the app, and I disable the alarm. And you're saying, why would you do that? And the answer is this. Because I can. Because I can. I have the power to turn off limits that we have set in place to make our kids amazing. And because I am so selfish and self-centered, I've decided for me at this moment so I can win, I'm going to make my kids worse people. <laughs> Are you with me on this? Because I can. So I know I can feel the judgment thinking I'm a terrible dad and I'm a horrible person. I get it. So this morning... Um, I want to talk about this question for just a second. If I were to talk to people that are around you all the time, and I said, hey, what is their because I can moment? On an average day, if I were to ask somebody, what are your most selfish moments? What would you say? What would you say? What would they say? So turn to your neighbor, turn to somebody, write it down, text somebody this question and talk about it. You can text and talk during this message. Some people do that anyway, totally cool. But work with this question for a minute. We're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna dive right in to what God has to say about this. So I'm interested to hear what your because I can moments are. In fact, when I think about because I can moments, um, I think about our lives and I think I, I have, we have two TVs in our house because we can. I, th I think about this idea that we have frozen food in our freezer that we'll never touch or we'll never eat, that we'll throw away because we thought it'd be a great idea to buy because it was healthy and then we just keep eating something that we shouldn't and we just end up throwing that healthy food away because... We can. I think about the fact that some of us have two houses for our cars called garages, and we have those because we can. I didn't know this, but um, most of us eat out 18 times a month and spend nearly $230 a month on food because we can. And, and do you know what the language of because I can or because we can represents? It represents people who are rich. And you're saying, wait a minute. If you saw what I drove, if you saw what house I lived in, if you saw what I grew up in, I'm not rich. So let me put this in perspective for you this morning. Um, the average American spends $1,100 on coffee. 
a year, not a month. Maybe you spend a month, a year. Let me, let me just, some of you may spend that much. The average American spends $1,100 a month on coffee. And of course, when I drink coffee, and maybe when you drink coffee, you do it when you're sitting in front of a computer because it's really hipster and cool to sip coffee while working on your Apple computer. And I don't know if you've thought about this either, but an Apple computer, the cost of that, and I don't know, if you don't use an Apple, I don't know what you use, but, um, but the cost of that alone between your computer and your coffee is worth more than what people take in an entire year in the salary across the world. If you have a car payment that's over $180 a month, this doesn't even include what it takes to upkeep and to take care of it. If you have a car payment over $180 a month, you pay more on your car than what people take in in the entire year across the world. These little amazing devices called phones where, um, I don't know, my company at least updates the software all the time, and then my phone will get so old that it won't update anymore, and then it tells me I need to go buy a new one because it doesn't work anymore. And then, of course, I pay a plan, or we pay a plan that's like $120 to $200 a month. And, of course, you pay, I pay more on our phones than what people take in an entire year. In fact, here's a stat I didn't know that 30, if you make $32,000 or more, you are in the top 1% in the world. I, I, I'm not, if I'm mistaken, that's like 32,000 is below poverty level in America, right? But yet you're still, is it close? It's close. But you're still in the top 1%. And I say all that to say, it's not about your money, it's about this, that this wonderful study came out because it's not about your money, it's about the fact that we're all rich. And what they found is this, is that wealthy people experience more positive emotions when they're focused on themselves. Let me just put it bluntly. If you are rich, you are selfish and self-centered. Let's just put it even more bluntly. We are all, to some degree, rich, selfish, and self-centered. And so it's my responsibility, it's our responsibility, and our goal here at the table to move you forward in your faith. And our goal is to move you from being selfish to selfless. And you're saying, how in the world do we do that? So this morning, I want to look at this amazing story written by this guy named Matthew. And if you're new to church or you're not familiar with the Bible, hey, I'm still learning as well. It's totally cool. But, but Matthew was this money laundering tax fraud who stole from his own people and worked for the enemy. Sounds like a pretty nice guy, doesn't he? And he would take money from people and he would work off the backs of the poor. And when he begins to write this story and, and, and the one that he witnesses with Jesus, it's so amazing. He's, he begins to write this story. He begins to see himself and the guy that's having the conversation with him. And he thinks to himself, this could have been me. Because when I was sitting there at that booth, I was rich, I was selfish, and I was self-centered. And then something changed for me. But now as I look at this guy having a conversation with Jesus, there's a good chance that this could have been my future if nothing would have changed. And I think he writes this today because he knows that this is our struggle. So here's what he says. This is Matthew's account of it. He says, another day, a man stopped by Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing, check it out, must I do? Because I can, right? What good thing must I do? Because I can do it. What must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask the question about what is good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. <laughs> the man asked, what in particular? 
Jesus says this. He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, check this out, I've, because I can, I've done all these things. What's left? Jesus says, if you want to give it all you've got, then I need you to go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven, then you can come and follow me. And that was the last thing that the young man had expected Jesus to say. And so he was crestfallen. And he walked away because he was holding on too tight and he couldn't bear to let go. He was selfish and self-centered. Now, I, I realize that there have been a number of well-meaning pastors who have manipulated this word in order to make you give them all the money in the world. <laughs> That's not what it's about. In fact, I want to ask this question real quick. You're just going to work with it right now. How do you feel? How do you feel and what are your thoughts when you hear Jesus say these words to this man? If you want to give it all you've got, if you want to be all in, sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then follow me. How do you feel when you hear that? Talk about that for a couple minutes, and then we're going to land this whole thing. So if you're like me, you get really uncomfortable when you hear this message because I feel like a low life when I realize I don't want to sell all my possessions and give up everything and go do something crazy like that. And you probably feel the same way. So let me give you an example. Let me, let me tie this together so you can feel better about it. Have you ever been dating someone and been in love with someone else? It's okay to admit it. I mean, I'll just let you know, we had this honest conversation with our band, and nearly all of them said, yeah, I, I've done that. Even perfect little Jeannie, who plays the piano, said, I was dating somebody, and I was in love with someone else. Come on, shame her right now. Oh, it was a crush. I'm sorry. Here's the thing about that. If you've ever, I know it's a terrible example, but it's the only way I know how to relate it. Because you can do all the right things in a relationship. See, you, you understand that you can send flowers to that person at their work and everybody's gonna be like, oh, he's so sweet. Isn't he so kind? He sent you flowers. And everybody's gonna be Googling over the fact that some dude sent you flowers, right? Or you can take him on the greatest dates, the most amazing dates, or you can like take him on extravagant vacations. You can make the most romantic dinner at your home. You can make dinner for him. And they'll come over and you'll be staring into their eyes. And here's what I know. You can do all the right things that people perceive what makes up a relationship, but still be in the wrong place. You can do all the right things that makes the relationship feel like it's going forward, but deep down, your heart is somewhere else. Your mind is thinking about somebody else. I know it's a terrible, terrible Terrible example. 
But I think it's the very thing that Jesus wants to address with this man this morning. And I love this because Jesus goes up to him and he realizes that it's not really about his money. He's got a bigger issue going on. And so he says to him, he says, hey, listen, um, let's talk about the commands for a minute. All the things that you think you're doing because you can. And so Jesus lists six of these things, right? Am I in the right place this morning? <laughs> I think I'm in the right place. I think I'm lost this morning in my notes. It's really hard getting back in the saddle and preaching again. You know this? <laughs> um, but yes, I, th I think I know where I am now. So here's what we're talking about. So Jesus is talking about these commands, right? And how many commands are there? You know this. How many commands are there? There's what? Ten of them. Right? Jesus lists how many in this? Six. I know some of you are counting, right? And one of them we can count as two, so there's seven. And so Jesus is really saying, hey, like, the six that he lists are about what you're doing in relationship to your neighbor. Notice he says, because I can do it. Look what I did, because I can. It's about what you do in relationship to your neighbor. But notice what he leaves out. He leaves out the first three, which have to do with what? Selfishness, or what? God. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, or excuse me, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, keep the Sabbath and make it holy. You will have no other gods before me. These three, this man has not kept. And my whole point is this, is that I think for so many of us in our faith, we do all the right things that make us feel like we are in right relationship with God, but yet our hearts and our minds are somewhere else. Listen, I get it. We play this game where we show up every single week and we put on our best and we come here and we talk all Jesus-y with our friends and we, we pretend like we got it together. We stand and clap and sing and, and, and we say our prayers and read our little scriptures. And, and I just got to be honest with you. Um, I hate all that. If you really want to get under my skin, you will just string together a number of cliche Christian sayings that make absolutely no sense, but it sounds really holy. In fact, I experience this all the time as a pastor, and it drives me nuts. I was at the gym one day, and uh, the guy that was in there cleaning, uh, he's dropping F-bombs left and right, left and right, left and right, just dropping F-bombs. And then he looks up to me and says, I don't think I've ever asked you, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, my goodness, God bless you. The Holy Spirit is in this place. <laughs> And my whole point is, we can have this idea where we're doing all the right things that we perceive make us a right Christian with God, but be completely missing the whole thing. Sometimes I think we're dating God, but our hearts are somewhere else. And so you say, how, how in the world do we get back to this place where we know that we're actually pursuing what we're supposed to be pursuing? Because you can actually have a quest for faith and not actually be following Jesus. There's such a thing as being a theologian, knowing a lot about God, but not actually believing that God is who he says he is. And I think that's a good majority of us. And so this morning, Jesus takes it a step further after the man walks away. And I love what he says. He says this. 
As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? He said, let me tell you, it is easier, this is so funny, for a camel to gallop through a needle's eye, imagine that, than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were staggered. They said, then who has a chance? I mean, really, who has a chance at getting into the kingdom of God? They were so confused by this. And Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, you have no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. You have no chance if you constantly say, because I can. But you have every chance in the world if you trust God to do it for you. When I think about this story, I often feel guilty about the fact that I'm unwilling to give up everything. And I feel like there are people who do that. And then I feel less of a person because I'm not willing to give up my possessions and my money in order to follow God. And I just want you to know, I think the reason why Matthew puts this story in here is because it's not about your money. It's about alignment. The reason why... Jesus doesn't mention the first three things is because he understands that this man is not in alignment with him. And as I begin to do a study about this idea of alignment, it was interesting to me that we are having more conversations about the word alignment than we ever have in history before. Check this out. There are more books, there are more podcasts, there are more conversations, there are more things, there are more people talking about alignment than we ever have before. And I think that's because people's lives are so out of alignment that they want to get back in alignment. And Jesus knew that this would be our greatest struggle in humanity is that as we be who we are, which is human, we have this tendency to get out of alignment. You ever had a car that gets out of alignment? It's really annoying because you can't keep it on the road and you're constantly pulling on the wheel. And it's really dangerous if you let go to text somebody. <laughs> Just letting you know. But you take it to a mechanic so they can straighten your car out. And I think the same is true with our lives. It is so easy for us to get in this place of selfishness and this place of control where we say, I can do it. It's really, you are out of alignment at that moment. And it's almost like God is saying, come on, bring it back in. Bring it back in. And I think we as humans have this desire to be aligned. Why would we be talking about it more than, than ever before? It's because deep down, there is this awareness that we need to be centered on something more than us. But here's the struggle. Jesus doesn't give this goofy illustration of a camel running through the eye of a needle for any reason. In fact, we don't get it. We're like, seriously, that is impossible. But see, if his first century listeners would have understood that cities were fortified back then by walls. And then they had these little gates that would allow you to enter into the city. Not the big ones that you see on Vikings where like a 300 foot person could walk through but really small gates. And when camels would arrive to the city, before they could go through the gate, they would have to get down on their knees and sort of shimmy through the gate. And when I think about a camel on its knees, when I think about a person on their knees, it really is about humility. It really is about submitting. I'm gonna say it and you're gonna hate it and I'm gonna prove why. It really is about submission. 
If we want to align our lives, it is about submission to God. And you're saying, how do you know I hate it? Because check this out. The more we talk about alignment, the less we talk about submission. In fact, if you were to back these two graphs up, it's interesting. Literally, where alignment leaves off is where submission starts, and it obviously drops off. Over the course of history, we've talked less and less and less about submitting. And the reason we do it is you don't like, and I don't like people telling me what to do. Right? We don't like authority. We don't like people telling us the way that we should do things. If somebody tells me to do something, I guarantee I'm going to do the opposite. You do it as well. But this idea of submitting to people and to submitting to authority, it's like, it's almost, when it just makes me want to gag. But it's almost like we have one foot in and one foot out. I really want Jesus to change my life. I really want to make a difference in the world. I want to have dreams, passions, and desires. And I think God will help me do that. But I really still want to have control. Because I can. Like a lot of us, and including myself, continually live in these because I can moments. And instead of submitting those things, we would rather live and control those things because we think we know better. And so here's what I want you to know this morning. It's not about money. It's about alignment. I don't, I don't this isn't my notes. It could get dangerous. Um, it's funny because when we, when we were preaching about this blind guy not too long ago, and he would constantly say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. What I realized is the definition just means Lord, align my life with yours. And it's, it's part of my prayer life to constantly just say, because I need it, I need so much mercy. God, would you have mercy upon me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me in this moment. I pray for that, like, repeatedly throughout the day, and I love this idea. The more I thought about it, I was like, God, just align me with you. Just align me with you. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, and I'm terrible at it. But the more I pray, the more I hope I'll get there. And so this morning, I'll just say this. If you're new to this whole church thing, if you are, are new to faith or you have questions about God or you're not really sure if you're buying into this whole thing, can I just say this is where it starts? See, a lot of times we want to order our lives. We'll say, well, I want to fix this and I want to get this right and I want to do this and then I'll follow Jesus. Listen, if you find yourself saying, I'll do this, this, and this. It's because you think you can. And Jesus says, you have no chance. See, the starting point is when we say, I can't. I can't. And so this morning, I would just ask you, you may not know where to start, but it starts by simply saying, Lord, I give you all of me. Lord, I give you my life. In this moment, at this time. And I pray you would leave every part of who I am. That's where it starts. Now, if you've been here, you're like, I prayed that prayer, Pastor Brown. I, I, you know, hey, come on. I've been there. I've done that. Listen, can I ask you a question? Are you, are you dating God but in love with someone else? I mean, come on. Think about this for a minute. I get it. We are faithful people here. Some of you show up every week. Thank you, by the way. It's great when all of us show up. 
but are you just coming here just because? I mean, are, are you dating God, but really your heart and your life is somewhere else? And so I would ask you this question, where in your life do you struggle to give up control? Because that's what it's about. When your ego and your selfishness and your self-centeredness are in the way, it's really about you controlling everything. There's nothing more scary as a parent than watching your kids grow up. And there's this tendency for parents to just kind of hang on with the reins like you just can't let them go. But what if you decided to submit and say, they're not my kids, God. They're yours. What about, what about that person you're dating? <laughs> right. Hey, I know better. Like, I, I think I know our future. I've got the wisdom for the way this is going to play out. I know that this is the person I'm going to marry. But really, have you given up control for just a second to realize maybe this isn't for me? I think as Americans, our greatest issue is we, we trust our future with our own finances. How much trust do you place in your own ability, because I can, to provide for your family? What if all that was taken away one day? What if all of a sudden you were fired, you got sick, you lost your job? What would happen? What would your faith look like? Here's what I know. When you submit, you quit controlling. When you submit, you quit controlling. And so I would encourage you today in this moment. Let's change the, the trend, shall we? Can we be people who will say, whatever you want, God, I'll do it.